Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's cool fact of the day is that skill can be defined as a denser wrapping of myelin around your nerves. Myelin is actually a fat that insulates your nerves. If you have denser wrapping or thicker myelin around your nerves, you actually can conduct more information over those nerves. When you do something the right way over and over and over, you grow more myelin and then you get better at doing that thing. And that's why good practice makes for good performance. Myelin is the key. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. We have an awesome interview today with Jason and Mira Kalton, a husband and wife expert duo on micronutrition. We cover pretty much everything you could want to know about micronutrients, supplementation, and even how to prepare food to get the most nutrition possible. If you want to do everything possible to nourish your body, this podcast is a must listen. I found that Jason and Mira were very much in line with Bulletproof Principles and focus a lot on micronutrients. Speaking of excellent biohackers and cool stuff, we're going to do our interview with Jason and Amira Kalton. The Kaltons are among the world's leading experts on the topics of weight management, lifestyle medicine, and micronutrient deficiency. Their high success rate working with adults and children to achieve sustainable weight loss and reverse health and disease conditions has made their consultancy really sought after by celebrities, athletes, and top corporate executives around the world. Jason Calton authored a study published in the Journal of the International Society of Sports Nutrition that we mentioned in a recent podcast. That study showed how most diet plans don't provide everything your body needs. Jason and Mira Calton come on Upgraded Self Radio to talk about how micronutrients can improve your health, your longevity, and your performance. Jason, Mira, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right. First question. How did you get interested in micronutrients in the very first place? It all started because I was diagnosed with advanced osteoporosis at the age of 30. 
So I basically had to start learning about micronutrients, basically to try to reverse my advanced bone disease. I had the bone density of an 80-year-old woman at the age of 30, and you know, all they want to do is throw a bunch of medications down my throat and, and how, you know, set me on my way. What we, I realized by starting to do a lot of this research, and um, I started figuring that my habits had been really poor and that I wasn't taking in enough of these essential vitamins and minerals. Luckily, I found Jason, and we started working on a program together that would be able to reverse my bone density and um, bring me back to regular health, which I am now. We were able to reverse it in only two years. And uh, what we realized is that it had been my own dietary problems as well as lifestyle, poor lifestyle habits that had caused it. And we just uh, really enjoy the research that we that we did on micronutrients. And so it ended up being the focus of the next six years of our lives. <laughs> It's amazing how a little bit of enlightened self-interest can make you really face facts versus sort of believing myths, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, if someone had told me that, you know, I was doing things to myself that was going to cause me to be sick, I mean, I thought I was doing everything right. I mean, I was eating low-fat muffins for breakfast that were whole wheat, and then I was having my spinach salads for lunch, and I just kept thinking, you know, I've got it all down. I go and do hip-hop class, you know, for hours a day, and I had no idea, but, you know, unless someone put it up to, you know, they put a mirror up to my face and said, you know what, maybe you aren't perfect and maybe you haven't been doing everything right. So yeah, it was a hard lesson to face, but it was pretty necessary. It seems like just about everyone listening to the show knows that they aren't doing things perfectly, but they think they're doing it pretty good. Like if we asked everyone, they would say, oh, I'm an eight or a nine out of 10. But if you look at their health results, it's pretty obvious that some of them are mistaken, at least in my experience. Do you come across the same kind of psychology when you interact with people? Yeah, I, yes, I do. I think if you were to poll people, you'd find that. Probably they'd say, I'm doing 80, 90% right. You know, maybe I could have a few changes. But you're right. You know, one out of two of us are dying of heart disease and cancer is almost right there and obesity is on the rise and diabetes is, is overtaking it. And, and so you're right. I mean, uh, I don't see how people think that they're doing it 80 to 90% right if we're all, you know, if the average the average number of medications that most people have in this country are 14 prescriptions a year. Uh, so 90% of us can't be average. I, I, I get that. Did you see evidence of this? You were going out on your Kelton project, and in fact, you should maybe introduce what you did on your project and what you learned from your travels. Right. So we went out on this thing called the Calton Project, which was a six-year, 100-country, seven-continent um, exploration of Formira and I to look at how it was that certain people in certain societies and certain regions um, were healthy, and then how come you know so many of the uh, people in in the larger cities or in the urban areas aren't. You know, we, we would think that with our hospitals and with our, med our doctors and with our medical knowledge that we would be in the urban areas and in the large cities, the healthiest people. And then those, you know, quote unquote, those poor, helpless, unfortunates out there in the remote areas, you know, well, they are probably suffering from some terrible diseases that we, you know, we don't want to talk about. But it's just the opposite. When we went to these remote areas in Papua New Guinea or in India and China and just all over the world in, in many different areas um, and in, in eating many different diets, we found that the people in the remote areas were the healthiest. They didn't have cancer. They had never even heard of cancer. They certainly didn't have diabetes or heart disease. Um, obesity was non-existent. Uh, women over the age, you know, after they had children, after a few years, you might see a few who had, you know, a few pounds on them. But I mean, these people are walking around basically buck naked and they may have a few, a few extra pounds, which is typical for a woman to store a little bit more fat, but they wouldn't even be considered overweight in our country. Uh, when we moved to the semi-remote areas where the traders would start to come in and bring in the margarine and the sodas and the chips and all the processed foods, we would then start to see a little bit more obesity and signs of pre-diabetes. But then, of course, by the time we got to the large cities, it was just like it is here in the United States. So our main theory there was uh, that we came to the conclusion is that micronutrient deficiency is really the most widespread and dangerous health condition of the 21st century because it's a silent epidemic. Most of us don't even know that we have it. That's pretty powerful, uh, pretty powerful experience and definitely a major conclusion to come true. 
when you were on your Calton or Calton project and you're looking at these people, what are some of the symptoms or diseases that you saw caused by micronutrient deficiencies in these populations, and how did they differ between the different groups? Well, the individuals who lived in the really remote areas we really had absolutely no signs of deficiency because they weren't deficient. They were completely healthy. You'd have 100-year-old workers, like they'd be working in the fields, and they're 100 years old. And when we would work with our translators to talk to them, we'd find out that they're just as healthy today. They're living and they're thriving. They're eating fresh foods. They're doing everything right. And then when, you know, we didn't see very many diseases in those regions, we only started... We saw, we saw some albinos in yeah. the region. That was about it, as far as the deficiency was concerned. Yeah, only in certain areas of Papua New Guinea did you really start to see some deficiencies in that, I believe, um, was you saw a lot of albino children. But that was really the only thing that we saw in the remote areas. Yeah. As we moved more into town, of course, you know, we started seeing all of the obesity levels. And, you know, that was something that we really spent a lot of time cautioning the different groups on as we traveled around, trying to tell them about what we were learning and what we were seeing and how they could be preventative for themselves. Yeah, I think Mira makes a good point and maybe something that the listeners might think about is that, you know, for years I've been saying that there's different types of people. There's certain people who can eat one thing and then the person who eats the exact same thing. One person starts to see themselves get overweight and the other person, you know, can eat those foods and they don't they don't see any difference. I, I call the some people like that, I call them the unlucky people, the regular people and the skinny fat people. So, um I, the regular people, like like, would be somebody like Mira and I. If we if we overeat, our bodies are going to gain weight, and they're going to tell us that something's wrong. Whereas I know people, you know, from different cultures and different genetic backgrounds that can eat chocolate cake every day and literally have a six pack of abs. Their bodies never give them that signal of gaining the weight. Which, you know, that's why I call them the unfortunate people because they're the first ones to scratch their head when their doctor says, well, now you have heart disease or now you have, you're pre-diabetic because they never saw it coming. So, you know, one of the things I want to caution people is if your body's giving you those signals, take advantage of them because those signals are direct links to specific micronutrient deficiencies. That is a perfect segue into my next question. When you're looking at these signals that your body is giving you, it seems like they would manifest themselves in pretty much infinite ways. Are there any diseases that aren't at least partially exacerbated by nutrient deficiencies? I would say, you know, I, I love that you asked that question. I was looking at it. And, you know, my, my answer to that is no, I don't think there are any. And, and not only that, not only is the answer that I don't think there's any diseases that aren't at least exacerbated by more micronutrient deficiencies, I don't really think there are any of the lifestyle diseases that aren't caused by micronutrient deficiencies. And that's really the difference, um, you know, what, what, what our research is showing us. And research today in modern medicine, I mean, the headlines across the board have been coming out about now about vitamin D, but, but this is just the, the darling of the day, you know. Um, the, the, it's the same thing for all of the micronutrients. Obviously, in the past, vitamin C, you cause scurvy, and, and you've got, you know, the B vitamins causing all in different, different deficiency diseases in the past. Uh, but it doesn't matter. If you're deficient in calcium, like Mira was, you're going to get an osteoporosis. But what we don't understand sometimes in our society is we like to think, you know, one micronutrient, one condition. I wish it was that simple, but it's not. Like with Mira, for instance, her bone density issues happened because of a deficiency in calcium, yes, but it was also a deficiency in D and vitamin K and all those accessory micronutrients that play almost like, or like an orchestration in the body to create health. It's a pretty big statement to say that you think that all of the lifestyle and kind of degenerative diseases are, are caused by micronutrient deficiencies. I mean, someone who eats all you know, polyunsaturated soybean oil and, you know, McDonald's hamburgers, is this a micronutrient deficiency problem or is this a macronutrient deficiency problem? I love that we're having this conversation because I have been, you know, trying to yell from the tallest mountain for the last 20 years that we've really been looking at, you know, I think only half of the equation for the last you know 20 years in America we've been trying to come up with this magic macronutrient ratio you know so we've got we've got different camps we've got the low carb camp that believes absolutely that's the way you got your low fat camp who can make an argument you know that they think is just as good and then you've got your mediterranean camp and of course your paleos and of course your vegans and then your vegetarians and then you know it goes on and on and we're all looking at this trying to figure out what exact my, you know macronutrient diet is going to produce health 
what we've kind of all missed, I think, and the, and, and it's and it's good that we're starting to see it now, is that no matter what dietary profile you're following, if you're paleo or vegan or low carb, it doesn't matter. The one thing we all have in common is that micronutrient deficiency causes disease in any one of those profiles. So for instance, if you're a paleo and you're deficient in calcium and D and K, you're going to get osteoporosis. If you're a vegan and deficient in calcium, vitamin K and D, you're going to get osteoporosis. You can put any macronutrient philosophy in front of that, that statement. And if you're deficient in those micronutrients, you're going to get that disease. If macronutrients, if the diet was the solution, then you should be able to put another diet in front of there. And if, and, and if you were deficient in those micronutrients, you wouldn't get the disease. But since you can't, the disease doesn't come from the macronutrient equation. It comes from the micronutrient equation. The way that the macronutrients equation can be beneficial is there are certain dietary profiles that just allow for a wider spectrum of essential micronutrients to be taken in. And so, of course, we believe that the wider the spectrum, then the more likelihood you are to be sufficient in them. So, so is this a chicken and egg problem? It, it seems like on maybe a low toxin diet, you might need fewer micronutrients than on a high toxin diet. Absolutely, yeah. When people ask this sometimes, they'll say, you know, what about eating organic vegetables? Is that important? I say, you know, from a micronutrient standpoint, um, studies go both ways. Some studies show that they are higher in micronutrients and other studies, you know, have been less than, you know, positive on that. I said, but from a you know, toxin standpoint, you know, you're going to take in fewer toxins by choosing things that are organic. So in that respect, it's absolutely better to choose your organic food. It's kind of funny. I, I definitely agree with you there. And, and within the Bulletproof diet, which is some people call it you know, an upgraded paleo kind of thing, but it, it's a low toxin paleo compliant yeah. diet. Um, I, I do talk a lot about you know getting the right vitamins from your foods, but I, I've come across probably 30 or 40 physicians who practice anti-aging over the years. And almost every one of them has said, vegans don't heal very well. But when I talk to these vegans, it's not like they're the, you know, I only ate tofu today. Like these are people sincerely trying to do the best for their health, eating, you know, every color, baskets of every kind of vegetable, et cetera, et cetera. Are they still micronutrient deficient? Like what's going on there? Sure. Don't forget, you know, your micronutrients are your your vitamins, your minerals, and your essential fats. So, I mean, I think, you know, there there isn't very many books about uh, being a vegan that doesn't talk about the micronutrients that are just in, inherently deficient in that style of diet. Obviously, if you don't eat animal source proteins, there are going to be certain, uh, you know, limitations there with the different micronutrients as well as with the essential fats. I mean, maybe they're taking ALA in with their omega-3, but remember the conversion rate of the ALA to the EPA and then to the DHA. I mean, they, we're talking about five to 10% and two to 5% respectively there. So, you know, are they going to get the necessary EPA and DHA they're going to need for their brain or their heart function, you know, science says no. Additionally, a lot of them are doing a really poor ratio of the omega-3 to omega-6. So then all of a sudden yes. that brings in more inflammation. So a lot of the vegetarians, well, they think they're doing fantastic things and, you know, many are, I'm sure. But some people, you know, they're, when they start with all that olive oil and, you know, a lot of those nuts, they don't realize that the omega-6s are going up a lot faster than if you just did fish oil. <laughs> and another thing with that omega-6 is that, don't forget, omega-6 competes with omega-3 for receptor sites. So yes. when that omega-6 gets up to that 30 to 1 ratio, which a lot of the vegans are because of the fact they're taking in so many of the omega-6, um, that the, the ability for the, that a little bit of omega-3 that they are getting in from that ALA source is diminished even greater. I would say that those are really good observations, and I... I occasionally come across people in the bulletproof coaching practices where they're, they're vegan and you can go so far, but I, I sort of feel like without addressing those core things you just talked about there, it, it gets really tough. So, so how could someone vegan or not though, like know that they're deficient in a micronutrient? Like what are the specific signs that our listeners should be sort of asking of their bodies when they're trying to figure out what's, what's happening? Well, the first thing we would suggest is that we have a a quiz online at callednutrition.com where you can go in. It's 50 questions. It's free. And it asks you those lifestyle questions and those nutritional questions that will kind of give you a snapshot of if, if you have poor habits that might be making you deficient. But, I mean, it's, it's simple things. I mean, are you overweight? Women who are, over, uh, who are vitamin D deficient are on average 16 pounds heavier than women who are sufficient. Um, do you have a lot of cravings for sugar? You could be magnesium deficient. You have cravings for salt. You could be calcium deficient. 
Do you not taste things well? You could be zinc deficient. It goes on and on. I mean, high blood pressures, potassium, calcium, and magnesium deficiencies. So it's, it's looking at all those things. So how is your body working? If it's not working to a point that you feel good, then you most likely have a deficiency. <laughs> Yeah, I think Mira makes an excellent point. A lot of times people ask us, you know, if I'm taking, I, you know, I take this multivitamin and I eat right, but I don't feel anything. Well, that's kind of the point. We're not talking about creating micronutrient sufficiency so we can be superhuman. What we're trying to do is create just, just being human, just being regular. The whole point is to have your body function properly so that you don't have the aches you don't have the pains you don't have the you don't have the appeal uh, you know the, the the brain uh fogginess you don't have the taste bud sensitivities you don't go to the doctor and says oh you have high homeocysteine levels well guess what that's vitamin b9 vitamin b6 vitamin b12 we know this science knows this if you're starting to get osteopenia guess what it's not you know genetic it's going to be a micronutrient deficiency those cravings mirror talked about you know science has known for years that cravings come from different micronutrients that are deficient and that our bodies are trying to tell us to eat their food so that we can get these micronutrients. So, you know, I think it's a really good point. And, you know, feeling nothing, feeling great, having no aches and pains, that's your best kind of indication that you're probably not too deficient. So on, on the topic there of being superhuman, which is definitely sort of part of the, the bulletproof idea that says, you know, you, you really want to be able to do more than you could do before. I, I would argue that a person in a natural state of health it would feel superhuman compared to most people today, but can use yes. micronutrients yeah. to go a little beyond average. I mean, I don't want to just be healthy. Like, I want to kick ass. Are well, micronutrients yeah, going to help me do that? That's normal. <laughs> okay. There we go. Really Resetting normal. Yeah, we think humans are pretty amazing. Uh, you know, we're a pretty amazing species. I, I think that, you know, what we've been able to accomplish, I and mean, if you really look at us, uh, and, and, and the people who have really made a difference in, in the world, um, we look at the we look at it being human as being pretty superhuman. You know, I use that maybe I, maybe I, I misspoke in that way. I don't mean that we're not going to be at our best. It just means that I, I consider our normal best so much greater than what we what we all are today. It's not about settling to be normal. It's about exceeding expectations, and that should be normal. Yeah. There you go. I, I we're in total alignment on that, and and it, and it really comes down to most people have no clue how good normal really is and, and when they see it they're just astounded at what they can do yeah people who are sick when they feel better then they understand what normal is supposed to feel like then they know how good it's that it actually feels how cool it is <laughs> I would say a very unusual percentage of the people who who focus on absolutely exceeding possibilities across you know mental and physical and, and nutritional and, and all these different domains, even like business, it, oftentimes they're people who really dealt with a significant health issue early in life, and that taught them a, a new level of awareness as to what what normal is and what not being normal is. So they just tend to get that focus that says like I'm I'm going to do this right, and then they just apply themselves so much. That, that seems like you went down that. That path as well with your own osteoporosis. Is that kind of a yeah. motivator for you? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when you become dependent on someone else, this and then you feel better. Being able to be dependent on yourself and really do everything that you want to do and make sure that you get everything accomplished that you want to accomplish, and just taking it on head on. I mean, that's really what you get out of knowing that you know you almost couldn't. Very, very cool. All right, you wrote about something I've been meaning to ask you guys about. So, Mira and Jason. You write about everyday micronutrient depleters. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about what those are? Because I thought that was a really cool idea. So this is a term that we created in the book to try to, you know, to try to teach people um, all the things that they should be looking for in their lives. So we talked a little bit about the diet, right? So people, you know, we talked about that, you know, if somebody first, they choose, they choose a, a dietary profile. So let's say I choose the paleo or, you know, or the, the higher, you know, kind of the hybrid of it, like what you guys do. And then, so that, so there's that. And then the next thing I do now, I have to evaluate my lifestyle. So this, these lifestyle things are, Everyday micronutrient depleters. They can be things like drinking. They can be things like alcohol, I mean. Uh, they can be things like drinking or coffee, smoking, pollution, hurried lifestyle, the stress that we get from a hurried lifestyle, dieting. And this includes things like bariatric surgeries or stomach staplings. Um, it could be the lifestyle choices we choose. So maybe if we're eating gluten-free, we have to take into account what that's going to mean. Maybe we're going to eat raw foods. We have to take into account what that's going to mean. Or for vegans, like we discussed, what's that going to mean? Um, 
So all of these are everyday micronutrient depleters. It can even be things like things found in our food, like sugar, tannins found in wine and coffee and tea, uh, caffeine. So there's, there's a lot of them. And these are all those things that even a perfect person who's thinking, you know, I eat a pretty perfect diet. At least I think I do. But now we have to add one more thing to the equation. And this is where, you know, a lot of people have missed out in the past. You know, they only just do that first line. They write down, okay, I got my, you know, X amount of micronutrients in. But now we better start minusing because all those things that I just talked about and a lot more subtract from the amount of micronutrients that we have taken in. And the more we exercise and the more stressed we are and the more coffee we drink and the more alcohol we drink, the more we have to take off of that overall number. That is totally true in that when you take those things in that are are really bad for you, they're going to deplete your micronutrients or at least increase your demand for replacement micronutrients. But but I've got to ask about mycotoxins, which is one of my sort of personal maybe smoking guns and a lot of health problems. Do you look at mycotoxins in your research? These are the toxins formed by fungi that naturally occur in the food supply, although they're very aggressive ones now. You know, I can't say that I've done a lot of research on that. I can certainly do some, and we can have a discussion later on about that. Um, that would actually be really fun. I, in fact, I can send you guys some info offline. But yeah, uh, okay. well, in, in short, for instance, coffee, uh, one of the things that you called out there, 91.7% of this year's coffee crop has mycotoxins in it, at least if it's from South America. But it turns out that toxin-free coffee, which is produced a very specific way and didn't have an insect infestation and is organic from the right soil, et cetera, et cetera, is an amazing antioxidant source that doesn't have the micronutrient depleting problems that are well known for coffee. So I think that as we dig really into what happens with biochemistry and all, that uh, that there's amazing evidence about you know what happens if you add two parts per million of this toxin. Uh, so I, I mean, I have a line of toxin-free coffee on the site that universally people drink it and whenever I get feedback it's oh my god I didn't feel any stress I didn't get jittery my hands didn't get cold I didn't get a headache even though coffee always does that to me and it's that did the coffee suck the micronutrients out of you did it make you feel bad did it stress your adrenals or did it not have bad stuff that would have depleted you even more now, a lot of good foods and good beverages get bad reputations because they're mismanaged and badly factory farmed and poorly, you know, filled with those toxins that you're talking about. So yeah, we, I mean, I can, that doesn't surprise us in the least. I mean, meat's the same way. People do studies on meat and say it's bad for you, it's going to kill you and all this stuff. You know, it's because it's being, you know, pumped up with antibiotics and it's being fed grain and it's, you know, it's the same thing. But yeah, that wouldn't surprise us in the least. And most of these everyday micronutrient depleters, a lot of them have great beneficial qualities as well. So that's another thing we go over in the book is we talk about while they're everyday micronutrient depleting factors and they, and we want that people to be aware of them, a lot of them also have good side effects such as exercise and coffee. Yeah, I'd like to say one thing about coffee too. I'm a huge fan of coffee. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a big believer in making sure that you you get your organic coffee or coffee that's been produced correctly, like you're saying, without the without those toxins. And what a lot of people don't know is that coffee is is like the number one source of antioxidants on the planet. I mean, much yes. higher than even vegetables. I mean, not just by a little bit, but by a lot. So when when we do talk about them as being a micronutrient depleter, you know, it's both, it's mostly the caffeine that takes out a little bit of calcium. But you're right, you're getting a hundred times of those of those other good micronutrients or those antioxidants from drinking something like coffee. If we're just aware of just a little bit of caffeine or the little bit of uh, calcium depletion, we can easily turn that around and make coffee a real superfood. Well, based on what you just said, if, if you're a coffee fan, I'm going oh, yeah. to send you a, a bag of bulletproof upgraded coffee afterwards. You love it's, it. it's a different experience, I tell you. Awesome. We will, we will be waiting for that. Cool. Uh, I'll make sure to get your shipping address when we're, when we're off, the, off the show here. You also mentioned something about a nutrivore, which is also seems like it goes hand in hand with the everyday micronutrient depleter avoidance. Can you define a nutrivore and uh, maybe how much coffee they should drink? No, I'm just kidding. But do, do tell us more about <laughs> the nutrivore. Only what kind of coffee, though. <laughs> a- amen. <laughs> um, well, a nutrivore, is, like we said, we a nutrivore is someone who they could be a paleo, they could be vegetarian, vegan, low carb, low fat. 
what the, a news report, all these groups can have in common is that they understand that the most important thing and the reason that they're eating is to eat the most nutrient-rich foods, is to reach micronutrient sufficiency. So a Nutrifor has three steps to their life to create this micronutrient-sufficient lifestyle. The first is eating the rich micronutrient-rich foods, and that we talk about, you know, the local, the organic, the grass-fed, the pastured chickens, all that kind of great stuff that I know that you eat as well. And then the second is to reduce the everyday micronutrient depleters in your life, or at least be aware of the ones that you do want to reduce, because not all of them are really bad for you. And the third thing would be to supplement if you need to, because we're not perfect. We know I still want to have my glass of wine at the end of the night. And I, you know, not every day that I'm traveling on the road, am I going to find that perfect menu with perfect micronutrient rich foods? So we recommend to take a supplement that's going to, you know, fill in that gap and, and get you up that extra space that you need to become micronutrient sufficient so you can prevent disease. Okay, so uh, so Nutrivore basically makes better decisions along the way in order to to get the right nutrition, and maybe when they make a poor decision, does something to address the deficiency. Yeah, the Nutrivore really just focuses on that creating micronutrient sufficiency in their life, no matter what dietary profile they're following. It's really our stab at, at a unification. Uh, of all the dieting profiles, you know, one of the big things that you know I've noticed over the last twenty years of being in this business is there's a real fractioning that goes on uh, amongst the different groups. I mean, it's very hard to get you know a low carber to sit down and talk with a vegan, or you know, a vegetarian to talk you know with a paleo, or you know, it's just there's a lot of fight infighting. And I feel that we have so much power as a unified group if we could just come together somehow. If there was just one common element where we could get these people, everyone together and say, you know, that's one thing that we can all get behind. And in our research and on our, in our travels, you know, our kind of aha or eureka moment was the fact that, wait a minute, there is one common thing that every single one of these dietary profiles needs to really think about. Like we said, that's being micronutrient sufficient. And like we said, that's because if they're deficient in calcium D and K, no matter what profile it's going to be, they're going to get that disease. And so if we can use that one common thing to start to bring people to the table to have a talk about something that we're not disagreeing on, we're hoping that that can, you know, can foster further talk and and help us to kind of create one voice where we can really start to make a difference in in what we're in our foods and and force the the farmers and and the grocers to to bring in the foods that we really want those micronutrient rich and dense foods. One of the things that we really stress on the blog and with the Bulletproof Diet or Upgraded Paleo is being sufficient nutrients, but also being low in toxins. And we find that one of the reasons we call it upgraded paleo is because I think we do pay a little more attention to micronutrient sufficiency than other maybe forms of paleo might. What are some of the nutrients people who are following a paleo-type diet might still be deficient in, even though they're eating these foods like you were talking about? Right. So it's, again, when we're talking about the paleo diet, the great thing is you've got your meats, you've got your vegetables, you've got your fruits, you've got your nuts. So you've got the, you've got the foods that will bring in that spectrum of the essential micronutrients. But then you have to actually talk about the individual. So again, it's, it's, it's really, it's going to be different across the board. You know, how many of the everyday micronutrient depleters are affecting this particular individual? That, you know, that one person could eat the exact same thing as another, but if they're hot, really stressed out and they're drinking a lot of alcohol and they're, you know, they're smoking and, you know, and they're exercising a lot, then obviously that exact same diet isn't going to come anywhere near to fulfilling micronutrient sufficiency for that person as it would for the person who didn't have those everyday micronutrient depleters. So now here's a, a follow-on to that. What about prescription drugs and pharmaceuticals and, and micronutrients? What's the relation there? What are the really bad ones? Are there any that are not harmful at all? What, how does that work? Well, there's. I wouldn't say there's any prescription drugs that aren't harmful. <laughs> um, prescription over-the-counter medications just deplete essential micronutrients, which can either exacerbate the same condition or can initiate a new deficiency condition or, or disease to take place. Uh, people really don't think before popping pills, and it's it's really unfortunate. I mean, now we're seeing these, you know, obviously our celebrities are falling left and right with these prescription medications, and it's it's very sad. But it's it's even happening 
everywhere you look. I mean, everywhere you go, people think antacids are fine. Well, antacids are going to make it so your micronutrients can't be absorbed in your stomach. So that's a problem. People, you know, say you're getting a fever and you just want to pop something because you, you feel a shiver coming on. You want to lower your fever. Well, you know, that's going to actually deplete you of your zinc and your vitamin C. And those are two things that are really going to help you fight anything that you're catching on right now. They're going to, that's going to actually lower your immune system. So, I mean, those are some of the lesser ones, but I mean, CoQ10 deficiency is going to cause a heart problem. And unfortunately, they're giving people, um, people are taking this Lipitor and it's going younger and younger is it, it's being prescribed even to children now. And it's been proven that it's going to cause a CoQ10 deficiency and a heart disease and heart failure is actually a problem of CoQ10 deficiency. So we're just going to see more and more chronic conditions forming as people start medications earlier in life. Yeah. I think, you know, it's a good point. I mean, you know, again, if you're, if you're a paleo dieter and you're on medications, that again comes into the equation. You know, you're going to be much more likely to be deficient in your essential micronutrients if you are taking over-the-counter prescription medications. I think it's important to point out that paleos, you know, they have a, they have a, typically have a better understanding of ancestral cooking, fermentation, sprouting. You know, they, 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 so they understand that, and they're going to get the benefits of that. It's really important that we have great gut bacteria because, if you remember, our gut bacteria not only helps to produce some of our micronutrients – like vitamin K2, for instance, but it also helps us to absorb those micronutrients. So, you know, it's a really, it's a big, it's a big picture. We want strong gut flora. We want as many of micronutrients going in to our foods, into our body as possible. And we want as little toxins in our body as possible. And when we put kind of all this together, this creates a very clear picture uh, and pathway to optimal health. Okay. I would buy that. Although what about say thyroid hormone? Um, it seems like there might be some prescription drugs that actually help you take up your micronutrients. I'm not. I'm not particularly aware of. of I'm sure there are some that are going to help you um, with absorbing micronutrients for people who have a problem absorbing micronutrients. But if you're on a medication, you're probably giving it for something that was caused by a micronutrient deficiency in the first place. So, of course, that would be iodine. Iodine deficiency yeah. and it being displaced by fluoride and uh, and halogen or not halogen halides, but basically, yeah, it's it, it's definitely there. And I, I know there was a time when I was like extremely anti-pharmaceutical. And as I got to know more about the biochemistry side of things, I, I think there's a very short list of ones where there's there's not a lot of of side effects and. Some of them actually seem to have anti-aging things, but I agree like 99% of pharmaceutical drugs should be looked at with extreme skepticism if you're looking to live a long time and to just maximize health. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't want to give, I don't want to come off as anti-pharmaceutical either, really. I mean, I think that there's a time and a place, especially in our society, the way that it is now, where, you know, physicians need to, to prescribe certain medications. But I always tell my patients that, you know, it's, it's really important to, to try to talk to your doctor and come up with a plan to, to get off of the medication over a period of time. If you need it as a crutch right now because your condition is such that you do, then that's great. Then let you, you diagnosed your problem. You've got your condition under control. And now let's work on a lifestyle program so that we can eventually get you off of that medication, you know, be, you know so by reversing the lifestyle things that caused the, the problem in the first place. So, you know, I agree in that aspect. And um, you know, so while medications certainly have micronutrient deficiency or, or depleting effects, uh, I think there's definitely a place for them in our society as well. I'm glad that we uh, we both kind of share that. Uh, I've I found that sort of middle path where you know, be as natural as you can, but if it's not working, and do do what you have to do in order to get it working. There's another technique that, that's out there. So I, I, a lot of the people who follow the Bulletproof Executive are into anti-aging, and I, I run an anti-aging nonprofit. And part of that involves this long-term uh, caloric deficiency. Caloric-rich diets, we're eating 30% less calories, but you're micronutrient-dense. What about things like that? We have sort of severe dieting, but with adequate micronutrients. Have you come mm -hmm. across that? What's your, oh, what, yeah. your take? what do you think about that? Well, I think the science speaks for itself. I mean, if you, if you want anti-aging and you want longevity, I mean, I think the, I think the science shows that low calorie has been proven to 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 deliver that. So I think that you know, I think that as we move towards this, um, where we're going in our world, uh, and 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 we find people who really will pay the money and want that that 
to live to, you know, the, the 200 mark or beyond. Um, I think that's what they're going to get to. They're going to get to the point where you take in uh, a very minimal amount of macronutrients and a maximum amount of micronutrients, or I shouldn't say maximum, a sufficient amount of micronutrients. And that ultimately will probably equate to um, the best option for longevity. And when we went to these different places all around the world, it's not like you saw the local tribes sit down for, you know, three squares and two snacks and gorge themselves. I mean, it certainly wasn't a constant state of how much food they could eat. They had, I mean, the most micronutrient-rich foods because they were so fresh. I mean, the soil was never was never destroyed. And it was amazing. I mean, they had small meals, and um, they were all very healthy. So, yeah, I mean, it definitely makes makes a lot of sense. You're both fans of the, the long-term caloric restriction sort of diet as long as the, the micronutrients are adequate. What about other kind of severe dieting where people go on low-calorie diets, you know, crash diets to lose, uh, to lose weight and other sort of, you know, 1,500 calories of Weight Watchers a day kind of thing? What do those do to micronutrient deficiencies usually? Well, they destroy them. So, you know, yeah, I mean, we're definitely not uh, fans of starving yourself. I mean, yeah, you're going to get the low calorie effect, but that low micronutrient effect is then going to create deficiency holes in our bodies that will eventually, I mean, if here, here, here's the fact. If you have an essential micronutrient that isn't, isn't being delivered in the, in the minimum amount needed by your body, your body has no other choice but to create a deficiency disease. I mean, triage theory basically states that, you know, your body will allocate the micronutrients that you do have so that you'll be able to live, you know, for the short term. But you're going, there will be ramifications for not having the, the minimum amount needed to run the body properly. I mean, that's just, I think, I think common sense for most people. So I think we would agree that self-imposed famines as a way to lose weight are maybe a bad idea. As a way to lose weight, for sure. (laughs) You can't stay on it. It's not sustainable. The person is just going to end up, you know, sick and hungry, and then they're going to gorge themselves. And that's why people fall off diets is because they get these cravings, and and their body is just basically calling out for these micronutrients, the only way it knows how, which is through food. I think that's a great point, and it's funny because whenever the government is recommending, you know, a way for people to lose weight, it's always eat less, move more. That's kind of the flip side of that. What happens for people who are maybe exercising excessively? Does that, is that going to exacerbate micronutrient deficiencies? So you have somebody who's not only eating a super low-calorie diet but also you know, going out and running marathons. What is that going to do to their micronutrient status? That's going to bring it down even more. I mean, so again, you know, if you restrict your calories, you're restricting your micronutrients too. Unless, of course, you aren't and you're, you're restricting calories and you're supplementing those micronutrients. I mean, you, and you have to be pretty smart about it because, you know, most multivitamins don't provide everything that, that you need. So, you know, we're not talking about just restricting your vitamin, your micronutrients across the board and then supplementing with, you know, 10 or 20. You really have to know what you're doing in order to do that. But if you're restricting your calories, not supplementing properly, and then exercising on top of it, that's that's a double prescription for micronutrient deficiency. I think a lot of people who do that might feel good in the short term because their you know their digestive systems are clean. There's not a lot going on in there. They're kind of on this runner's high. You know, they they flip in and out of, uh, of a ketogenic state, which can you know can certainly improve your feeling and you almost feel you feel superhuman. And nothing wrong with a ketogenic state with 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 micronutrient sufficiency attached. But over the long run. I mean, it's just a simple equation of, you know, a mathematical equation. I mean, if you keep minusing, 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 you're you're never going to get a positive number out of being deficient. That's an excellent point. And it brings me to my next question, which switches gears a little bit, but it's still talking about one of the other micronutrient depleters that you talked about in the book, and that's food preparation. How does how we prepare and cook food influence the nutrient density of that food? Oh, completely. I mean, there's a lot to consider when trying to figure out how you're going to make your meal. And first of all, it starts with peeling. If you peel your vegetables, you're peeling off some of the micronutrients. You just buy good vegetables that are clean and organic. You don't have to worry so much about the pesticides and trying to get the coatings off. And so basically that's a good place to start with uh, trying to limit the amount of peeling you're doing to all of your foods. Also how you cook it. I mean, if you, we don't want to hear anyone boiling their vegetables until they're limp. I mean, you know, we have family members that still like to do that, and we understand that that's what they grew up with, but they have to understand that 
the micronutrients are being lost the longer something is being cooked. And we tell them if you're going to do that, use that water to make rice or use that water as, as stock for soup because basically all your micronutrients are going to be left in there. I mean, it's, it's simple things. It's like, you know, when, when they process the wheat, there's almost nothing left in the wheat. Um, to cover your pot, no one thinks that covering your pot when you're cooking is that important, but it does two things. It actually keeps the light from affecting any, um, any, you know, vitamin B2, anything that's light sensitive, but it also, you know, doesn't let any of the steam escape, which is also going to seal in those water soluble nutrients. So there's lots and lots of tips in the book about, you know, better ways to cook. But, you know, it's, it's a lot of common sense. And I think that a lot of people are realizing that, you know, the fresher something tastes, and the more crisp and, and you know, natural a vegetable is, it's, it's probably got more of its micronutrients in it. The idea that healthy food should taste good seems kind of amazing to, to me that it's amazing to people. But but people have learned from you know, 30, 40 years of, of basically being told to eat cardboard because it's good for them that, that you know healthy food should taste bad. And it's my experience that if you want to be more superhuman, that what you eat should be full of you know, real food, but it should also kind of taste amazing because that's that tasting amazing is your body saying, I got what I wanted. It, it, absolutely. We, we tell people that, and we're surprised as we travel around the world when we tell them this, they kind of scratch their head and say, well, that makes sense. But micronutrients are the flavor in the food. That's what you're tasting. You're not tasting protein. You're not tasting the fat. You're not tasting the carbohydrates. You're tasting the micronutrients. So when you have a tomato that's grown in rich soil and you picked it that day and it tastes amazing, if you leave it sit for another week or two, it'll taste just like the just like ours do in the grocery store. You know, I mean, it, as you lose those micronutrients, you lose the flavor. With the more flavor more micronutrients. And that's a great way. That's the way, you know, your tongue is, is also part of your body that tells your brain that, you know, what's in the food. And since we brought it up, it's another one of my pet peeves. You know, we've got a lot of these now artificial flavors out there. And these artificial flavors are tricking our bodies into thinking that there's micronutrients in the foods, which is actually causing us to crave a lot of these artificially flavored foods. So we're, you know, our bodies are, are we're craving it because our tongue has been telling our brain, hey, there's a lot of micronutrients in this thing. It's not a lot of micronutrients. It's just a lot of flavor. And they're using that to addict people to certain foods. It's amazing if you do it like MSG is one of my favorite ways of doing that. If you put MSG in a meal at a restaurant, the odds of someone purchasing an additional drink or a dessert go up by something like 30% if memory serves uh, from a study that, that I've come across over the years. That's pretty amazing. So these artificial yes. flavors mess with you. Oh, totally. And now, you know, they're, they're just hiding them. I mean, you know, you come out with MSG is bad. So, okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to come up with 30 other names to hide it under. I mean, and it's just really bad practice. It's bad business. And, and it's up to you guys and people like us to try to get it out there that these foods aren't good for you under any name. Yeah. Hydrolyzed corn protein. You'll see that in, in on a package. Uh, that's really just another name for MSG. You know, they try to make these names that don't sound scary because they want us to look at the package and say, oh, well, that's it. Just bypass it. But we really have to become aware of the different names and what they mean on, on our food packaging. How much food do you really have to eat in order to provide micronutrient sufficiency for these various diets? A lot is, is, is what we found. Now, we only, I, I only looked at four diets. Um, so I looked at the South Beach diet, the Atkins diet, the Dash diet, and the Best Life diet. And I figured, you know, if we put those four diets together, you've got, you know, a couple million people there following these programs. So we, so there's a lot of people who are affected by these four diets. And I liked them because they were different. You know, one was a low carb, one was a Mediterranean, one's kind of a low fat. And then the Dash diet was one that was created by a team of nutritional and medical professionals specifically to, to help with high, you know, high blood pressure. So, and, and, and really recommended by so many different uh, people out there. What we found is, or what I found is that it would take on average 27,575 calories on average now between the three diets, somewhere higher and somewhere a little bit lower calories per day in order to become micronutrient sufficient based on the exact recommended menus that they recommended in their own text. And we took the foods right down to the last grain of salt. 
And so that was really, really shocking to me. Now, what we did later on in the study is we took six of the micronutrients that were commonly um, deficient or completely deficient, you know, throughout, throughout, and we took those out and we reevaluated it then. I think for the re- maybe it was six or seven of them. I can't remember off the top of my head. We for the for the other twenty or twenty one uh, essential micronutrients, and by doing that, we got the calories down to around thirty four hundred a day, somewhere in there. Don't quote me on that, but um, for sufficiency. But even that is still pretty high for most people. If you're a woman eating thirty seven hundred calories a day, that's probably twice what you really need. And so what that told us was that. We're in big trouble here in America if we think that we can just eat a balanced diet, again, whatever that means, uh, any one of these dietary profiles, and think that we can get those essential micronutrients that we need. Um, We just can't. And then add on top of that the fact that this is before we take into account those everyday micronutrient depleters. So this is if you're doing everything perfect with the diet plan, and then you also didn't follow their advice, and you didn't go to the gym, and you didn't have any stress, you didn't do anything wrong for the entire day. Yeah, it didn't take into account how a person might be cooking the food, or if they're microwaving the food, or like Samira said, where any of from. those, or where the food's from. So, I mean, this, is, this, this gave us a really good indication, you know, especially for Mira and I, to say, okay, we really need to stop talking about the, micronutri- or the macronutrients for a little bit here and really start to focus on what we think is kind of the, you know, the hidden epidemic, which is that micronutrient deficiency. And once we fix that problem, I think, I think the macronutrient equation and kind of argument will fall in line a little bit easier for people. That makes great sense. And, and the, the really cool thing is that macronutrients with the right micronutrients generally taste good. So people, hopefully, as they start eating more whole foods, will just naturally, as they're focusing on micronutrients, get the right macronutrients and sort of vice versa. Uh, that, that seems to happen when you focus on you know, non-manufactured foods. Yeah, quality foods are just, they taste so much better. And once somebody starts to get a little bit educated on how to find these quality foods, it's amazing how, I mean, you become like so interested in it and because it, it does taste so much better, like people really, and you know, put their time into finding them and they get more, you know, first it starts with change, making one small change. And they're like, wow, that grass fed beef was really good. I wonder what, you know, the, you know, this thing is going to taste like and this thing. And it kind of just expands to their life until they get more and more whole, great, fantastic foods in their, in their kitchens. Yeah. It's like an adventure. You know, we tell people to build, build a relationship with your food again. That's one of the things that we saw on the column project was the people that in the remote and even the semi-remote areas had a real relationship with that food. Don't forget They've raised that food. The, the food lives in their forests and in their rivers. And the food that they grew along their streams was theirs. They had a real connection to it. They went out and they, they, they picked it and they cooked it. And they, it nourished them and their families and their tribe. And that connection that existed there, I mean, that, it was really a powerful and very magical thing. We've lost that in America. We grab, you know, some, some processed semi-food at a fast food restaurant and gobble it down the back of a taxi cab while we're on the phone, while we're doing a million other things. We have no connection with our food for most of us. And I think that's one of the main reasons why we've allowed so many of these processed foods to sneak into our lives because no one's looking. It's true. People don't look, but they can sense it. When I throw you know, a dinner party and I'll invite some people over who maybe haven't seen the Bulletproof Diet or really understand where I come from from food, they'll, they'll sit down and they'll, they'll eat something and, and then it's like a look comes over their face and then they, they just can't stop. Uh, can I have some more? Can I have some more? And, you know, yeah. so, you know, petite women eat you know, five pieces of steak. And you're like, okay, you can have as much as you want. But it's like their body going, that's what I needed was you know, the, those nutrients that were in that food that I haven't had in a long time. So it, it, it's, it's literally like a kind of hunger that I don't normally come across. That's exactly it. That's that hidden hunger. When we start to take the foods that have those micronutrients, the body immediately realizes it. And it's going to tell her, eat more of that food because that's what we've been missing. We make, um, sometimes we'll make a coconut oil mayonnaise for people. And it's amazing. You would think that it was like, this 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 dip that people just all of a sudden think they they need to like stick their whole face in it just to <laughs> eat up as much as they can. I'm like, have you not had any good fast lately? It's unbelievable. <laughs>
I, I have this uh, recipe on the site for for bulletproof coffee, which is you know the low toxin coffee blended with grass fed unsalted butter instead of cream, so you don't get any denatured casein, as well as MCT or coconut oil. And you know, our and grandmother's I, taking it. The girl bulletproof nice. coffee. Uh, there you go. And so you guys are, are, are into that as, as well as you've, you've seen it. But I, I tell you, it's the same exact thing. You get a, a, a friend. Um, she, she had just the butter and the MCT oil mixed with a little bit of water. I was going to pour it in, in coffee and she had a sip and she said, can I just drink this? And she called me up two hours later. She'd taken a whole can of coconut milk and a whole stick of butter, blended them and drank the whole thing. And oh. she's like, I don't feel so good. I'm like, well, why did you do that? Because her body was like, don't miss up this chance to have that food, right? Yeah. It's exactly what it is. You know, people don't realize how powerful MCT is. I, I tell you, it's, you know, I've been prescribing it to my clients for 20 years and i'll tell you wonderful it is a magical magical um short chain fat uh, so you guys are, are mct fans uh, uh in fact i remember that now i think that was mentioned in the book uh it's it's awesome yeah. oh yeah it's it's fantastic you know and you're right i mean if you put this i mean i i, I look mira said i told my my grandmother's 94 and she's very healthy she's not on one medication by the way um and still takes about six or eight cruises a year, and she walks several miles, you know, Disney every, every day. day. <laughs> um, so, you know, and, I, and and she, you know, she's very, very healthy, um, and it shows that you can do that. But it, but I, when I heard about the Bulletproof Coffee, uh, it was something that I had never thought about, and I thought to myself, that would be great well, for everyone, but I wanted her to try it, and she, and she did it, Loves and it. she loves it. <laughs> she might be the oldest person who's had bulletproof coffee. I've given oh, it to my oh there you go. But... We'll take a photo for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. I just I love hearing that. <laughs> well, we're, we're coming to the end of the show, and there's a question that we ask every guest on the show, or in this case, every two guests, <laughs> and it's what are the top three things that people can do to become better at everything? So this is your whole life experience, any domain, everything at all. The top three things that are most important. Dedication, uh, focus. Yeah, I, I, for me, it's kind of, I've always had the three Ds, dedication, uh, drive, and discipline. You know, I think that's, those are the key, you know. Um, for me, it's have fun doing it. <laughs> Smile, enjoy, <laughs> enjoy the ride. Fun, I like that one. Well, thank, thanks for sharing that. And it, it's it's really amazing the variety of answers we get there. And I, I really like the focus you've got there on the letter D. I mean, my name is Dave, I can... <laughs> just joking but uh but in all seriousness uh that's right you know people really focus themselves they they can be better at everything they do because they're now paying attention and that includes their diet that includes everything else you do as well absolutely relationships everything yeah yeah it, it, it is you know um i you know keep learning too that's another thing and a lot of times people kind of get stuck and they think well you know i've kind of got i, I kind of know a lot about this listen i know i think i know at least a lot about nutrition but i'll tell you every single time i t sit down and talk with a new client or you know just all i'm always learning something new i i often tell people i wish i knew all the things that i've forgotten about nutrition because it, you know it, i just keep learning more and more and more and it, it seems like it's almost endless so i would highly recommend no matter what you think you know there's always something more out there to learn amen and it keeps changing too you got to stay on top of it. it absolutely especially in our field you know i mean this is it's really an exciting time now i kind of equate it to the electronics you know age what what, the, what that is now and what it was even 10 years ago What's happening in nutrition today is, is going to be the difference between the brick phone in the 1980s and today's iPad, you know, with, with, uh, with what's happening in, in, in supplementation and in nutrition and in micronutrient sufficiency and in longevity. So it's going to be really an amazing time over the next 10 to 20 years for those of us who are interested in this topic. You're absolutely right. It's This is a golden age, and it's just the beginning of the golden age of, for real nutrition. And it's not happening because of doctors or because of big governing bodies. It's happening because of big data and the Internet and the fact that we can put together our own studies and we can do our own correlations. And it, it's really sort of a citizen science time, and I'm, I'm pretty happy to be a part of it. Yeah, we are too. We're very excited. And, and also, I'd like to thank you as, as we're really coming to the end here. Thank you for the contribution you've made with your book and just for you know, paying attention and going out and seeing these places firsthand and writing about it and bringing this so other people can learn through your own experience. That's a wonderful thing to do. 
Well, thank you. And we hope people do read the book and we hope that they learn from it and they, they use the information and then they share the information. So Mira and Jason, tell our listeners where they can find out more about you, more about your book. Um, they can go to our website, Calton, C-A-L-T-O-N, nutrition.com. The book is up there. It's called Naked Calories. They can also get it at Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, pretty much in all the bookstores. It was sold out on Amazon until yesterday. They finally got their shit in their next shipment in. We did a reprint. So that's awesome. And um, we have two great quizzes on there that are both free. Um, we have a lot of great information in the Discovery Center, and we actually do answer people's emails. So uh, we look forward to hearing from people and, and also definitely sign up for the blog because we've got some really, really fun stuff coming out this week. Okay, we'll definitely be watching. Excellent. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Maria. You'll find links to everything we talked about in our show notes at bulletproofexec.com, including a full transcript. If you liked this, you can help us out by leaving a positive ranking on iTunes or even by stopping by the blog and picking up a bag of Bulletproof Upgraded Coffee, which is the lowest toxin coffee that we know how to make that tastes awesome and makes your brain work great. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.